San Diego, the destination for Northwestern football's bowl game at the end of the month of December. But before that, it's time for Stats Are For Losers. Good evening, everybody, and welcome on into the ninth episode of Stats Are For Losers, believe it or not, alongside Eric Rinston-Lobel. My name's Tim Hackett. Thanks so much for joining us this evening. All right, Eric, it's been a whirlwind 48 hours for me. Just got back from Indianapolis this morning, and I'm still kind of trying to process everything that happened late last night over at Lucas Oil. Uh, so I'll throw it over to you. Northwestern against Ohio State for the Big Ten title would have been Northwestern's first ever Big Ten championship game win. That game has only existed since 2011. It would have been Northwestern's first title of, in the Big Ten since 95-96, the last time they went to the Rose Bowl. They fell a little bit short. Ohio State pulled away down the stretch. They were the much better team in the fourth quarter and the first quarter, and a really impressive performance overall from the Buckeye offense, but the Cats had plenty of great moments too. 45-24, your final from Indianapolis. Buckeyes going to the Rose Bowl once again. A pretty solid performance from them. Yeah, I was very impressed with Dwayne Haskins. Um, I came away from yesterday very strongly disliking everything about Ohio State. <laughs> Wasn't a huge Urban Meyer fan before the game. Interacted with several fans of Ohio State. Didn't have the best experience there either. I can only imagine. But I think Haskins, I I mean, I respect him. I think he played a phenomenal game yesterday. Definitely has good weapons to throw to, but every, I mean, pretty much every throw was right on the money, and 499 yards is very impressive. I don't have a specific stat for this. So Dwayne Haskins attempted 41 passes and completed 34 those are those are defined stats, but I, I I came away with this Eric that I think he made maybe five bad throws all game. So he threw a pick to Montre Hardage. That was a really bad throw. His receiver was not really close to it. He overthrew him by about six yards. Hardage was wide open on a corner route. He could have taken it to the end zone. That's a joke. But uh, so that was a really bad throw. And then in that quarter where he threw the pick. He made a couple of other throws. One was, you know, in the in the dirt off his receiver's ankles, stuff, stuff like that. So two other bad throws like that. And then two of his completions, you know, his receivers helped him, stuff like that. But other than that, all of his other throws were really, really good. And, again, no defined stat for that, which is unusual for this show. But I was just wholly impressed besides those five bad throws. It was just a comprehensively fantastic performance by a guy with maybe a little bit to prove, but – Overall, I can't think of a more deserving MVP in a game like this. He was oh, terrific. Yeah. They certainly would not have won without him. And it's amazing to think this is this was his first full year as a start as yeah. a starter. He's a redshirt sophomore, so they wouldn't have won yesterday without him. Well deserved to get that MVP award. They had 607 total yards yesterday. That's my first stat. 607. They have put up. They they've. Uh, Beaten that total three times this year, though. They put up 721 against Oregon State in their first game, 688 in that game against Maryland, but that went to overtime, mm -hmm. so a bit of a, an asterisk on that one. Then 609 against Indiana. But even still, 607, it's very tough to win games for if you're Northwestern when you're giving up that many yards. I guess the difference, really the only one that I can think of in those games, is that they've got better production on the ground in those other three games that you cited. Only 108 total rushing yards against Northwestern last night but I guess that's kind of what we expected we hyped you know the two-headed punch of J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber a lot leading into the broadcast they deserve that hype they're both on the all-conference teams to one extent or another but 
neither of them were successful at all. Weber averaged three yards per carry. Dobbins averaged four. Neither of those are very impressive. And Northwestern was very solid against the run, as always, as almost always. But when you throw in a quarterback that has the ability to be as dynamic as Haskins can, I feel like that's where Northwestern has shown that they could struggle because they've limited run games or running teams almost this entire season. But where they've really struggled is quarterbacks with that potential to throw. So Ian Book springs to mind. Obviously, you see what Haskins does. Uh, and then A.J. Bush had a really good game for uh, Illinois that we talked about last week. So guys with that potential have caused the defense some issues, but even though they've been really true to form and held uh, really strong against the run all season. The thing that was most frustrating to watch yesterday was the number of opportunities the defense had to sack Haskins, and they just couldn't. What, they sack him once or twice? I think twice yesterday. Um, four times total, oh, four but times total? one of them was on – Sam Miller kind of made him run out on. He stepped out on the sideline, right. two yards short of the line to gain. So I guess and I get that's those a sack. came towards the end of the game. But the the first half, right. there was, I mean, the first touchdown pass he threw, he probably eluded three Northwestern defenders before he threw the touchdown, and they were armed with they were within arm's reach of him, and they just couldn't get him. And those were big plays because that was a third down, and that'll bring me. I guess that brings me to my second stat, and that's how good Ohio State was on third down. They were eight, ten of eighteen. That's fifty about fifty six percent. Eight of those ten conversions were on third and five or longer, hmm. and th- that that's one of the reasons they won because Northwestern had them in second and long, third and long several times yesterday, and Ohio State had answers for it practically every time. I mean, eight eight conversions on third and five or longer is very impressive, and Northwestern secondary struggled mightily with that. Yeah, it's a fantastic point, and I don't have it specifically, but I feel like if you found the converse numbers, you would see something very different. Northwestern was in those third and medium, third and longs a whole lot themselves. They were just 5 of 15 on third down overall, but neither team could get the run game going at all, it seemed like. So Northwestern was always in second and eight. Ohio State was always in second and six, like you said, and then nobody was able to move anything. The Northwestern was never able to convert on those third down and six situations, but Ohio State could because they had receivers get open. Uh, and I guess that was the big difference in the game. Yeah, they they were able to stretch the field. Northwestern was really relying on those slants, um, and that's I guess that's what they that's what was working for them when they came out at halftime and they they marched down the field where the slant plays. They didn't really have many big plays yesterday. Meanwhile, Ohio State probably had at least five plays, most certainly more that went for more than thirty forty yards because Northwestern's uh, secondary was not keeping up with uh, with Ohio State's receivers. 13 total passing chunk plays accredited to Ohio State. Now, those are gains of 15 or more yards through the air. But if you just go for 30 or more yards, there are two, one of 28, one of 29, and two of greater than 30 through the air. But, yeah, 13 chunk plays through the air for North or for Ohio State as compared to nine for Northwestern, and they only had one of longer than 30. So all of those chunk plays, if you will, were 15, 16, or 17-yard passes and one 33-yard pass, that deep bomb to Jelani Roberts, who came absolutely out of nowhere uh, for that deep pass. But there, there you go. Therein lies the difference. Northwestern was playing off in the secondary, as they so often do, and Ohio State was able to get those big gains. They got a lot of those in the first quarter, 10, 11, 12-yard gains, and then were able to extend those out to – 28-yard gains as the game went on. And like we said on the show last week, Eric, Northwestern was ill-equipped to get into a shootout with Ohio State. But honestly, Haskins aside, I don't think Ohio State did anything 
in terms of their you know, blunt metrics that was out of completely out of left field. They put up 607 yards, like you pointed out, which is good, no doubt about it. But they averaged 545 coming into the game, and they scored 45 points. They averaged 43.5. So, honestly, they played to more or less their season average. So, Northwestern did more or less as well as expected in that regard. Ohio State didn't do anything super special if you just look at those numbers, and they still were able to dominate for almost all facets of the game. And it was interesting because we talked. I, I, one of my stats last week was the penalties and how Northwestern is the least penalized team in the country. Ohio State was like 113th, and that showed yesterday. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State had a lot of penalties, and Northwestern had ample opportunities to tie that game, take a lead. They didn't capitalize. I don't believe they capitalized on the interception. They had the fumble recovery. They had the block field goal. Those were all chances that they that they wasted. Part of the problem was they were minus one in the turnover battle. They uh, they had they had three turnovers. Ohio State only two. So if if Ohio State had those two, Northwestern didn't have any. I think the outcome of the game would have been very different. But Thorson had a couple of ill-advised throws. One of them off his center's helmet. And the first right. interception, I thought, was really unnecessary. You're throwing the ball up to Flynn Nagel, who's definitely not the tallest guy, and in a situation where they were moving the ball pretty well. So there were some interesting decisions that he made yesterday, and he didn't have his best game. I think we can both agree on that. Only, I think, 240-ish yards. So, And it wasn't, and again, didn't have much help from Isaiah Bowser. He had 13 carries yesterday, and that was the fewest since he took over as the primary back against uh, since week eight against Rutgers. So I think part of the problem with that was uh, Ohio State was quick to close that gap when, when, when they, they, they seemed to know pretty well when Northwestern was running and Bowser did not have a lot of opportunities to, to move around because uh, Ohio State was all over all over that and there wasn't much diversity in their run game. And there's really not much diversity in their playbook. And I think that's one of the things that has hurt them throughout the years. Like when they're going for it on third and goal, you know it's a QB sneak. Mm-hmm. Or fourth and goal, you know it's a QB sneak. What worked for them yesterday is when they had the, the um, I guess, the double reverse, right? They had the one, Riley Lees had a nice gain on one. They threw a pass on the other one. So that kind of helped. But the lack of diversity in Northwestern's offensive playbook definitely hurt them a little bit. I want to know. I was actually going to ask you about those plays. I wanted to know what you thought. I have never seen Northwestern run anything like that. You know, I was going back through my memory banks last night for the, you know the last four plus years of watching Northwestern football. And I don't think I've ever seen them run out a play like that. Now they did run something in the bowl game last year, the play that Thorson got injured on on the catch down the left sideline. Uh, but obviously this wasn't quite the same play like that, uh, the same play as that. But I've never really seen them run that. But it was brilliant when they set up the same play up and then passed out of it the second time. I was I got very excited that they finally threw in some wrinkles, some creativity. Looked like they had some fun with it on Lee's run. Clayton Thorson was out as the lead blocker, which I absolutely loved to see. Uh, got a good block as well. Gave Lee's another three or four yards on the run. Uh, but I was happy to see some diversity in the playbook like you were hinting at. Did you like those trick plays, or were they, you I, know? I liked them, and I think, going back to your point, if they've run that before, I feel like they did when, in that point in this season, when they had, when they weren't really running the ball very well, just to kind of get something, and those reverse plays kind of help get the defense. Hmm. I, 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 my, I keep thinking Michigan State. I'm not sure if that's right. I know they, they've run end-arounds they, like that yeah, before, so but maybe, I don't... But 
see the thing is a lot of times when you see those plays though they result in big gains mm-hmm. and <laughs> i mean the run by leaves was a nice first down bowser had i think 15 yards on that on that pass and this, on the second time they ran it usually you expect more because that was sure. more of a check down because the other options were closed off from what it seemed like based on Thor- thorson's decision so definitely if you're going to win those games you got to change something up um and they did so credit to them i guess in that respect the one interesting thing though was they've always gone for on fourth down this year and they didn't do that a lot they didn't do it at all except at the end when they had to right just one and part of me was thinking all right well you're only down by 10 you're only down by seven so if you if you don't get it here you're giving them the ball midfield they're most certainly going to score again you're down by 10 14 now so you're better off punting them pinning them back at like the 10 but if you're going to beat a good team like that, you got to take some risks and you have to capitalize on those. Like, for example, last year in the Super Bowl, Philadelphia ran running the Philly special play. Not conventional, but it worked and it gave them a lot of momentum. Hindsight's twenty twenty, so we could say what we want. We could play Monday morning quarterback. We but, could. Um, that was something that was a little interesting to see. And the other, the other decision that I was unsure of was their decision to defer after winning the toss. And I was thinking about this before the game. So if you if you defer, you risk Ohio State marching down the field in their first drive, which they did, and kind of taking that momentum Definitely. to start the game. If you accept, if you receive the, the kick, let's say you don't score, or maybe even let's say you hold Ohio State at bay in the first half, but then they get the ball and start the second half, they come out of the locker room firing on all cylinders, you lose the momentum. Sure. So is there a correct decision to make there? Probably not. But I wasn't sure if I if I like giving Dwayne Haskins the ball out of the gate where they just kind of shot out of a cannon and were firing the ball all over the field. It's interesting. You, you bring up a good point. And what's interesting is that Northwestern got the ball to start on the first possession of the second half, and they were the one that came out firing on all cylinders offensively, something we did not see from them hardly at all on that first, in the first half. They only had that one scoring drive, and that was because of the 77-yard run by John Moten, the longest run of his career by far. His previous long was about 45. Uh, but, I mean, I completely agree with that first point. I think Pat Fitzgerald always defers if he's, you know, given the opportunity. So I don't, I don't, but, uh, yeah, or, ordinarily I like defer. I do too. Because I like the idea of the double possession, what the Patriots do. But when, like, and this, and they, and they talked about this during the Falcons Saints game on Thanksgiving where the Falcons won the toss and deferred. But now you're giving the ball to Drew Brees hmm. and, the Falcons' offense isn't their strength, nor is Northwestern. So you're kind of already putting yourself in a hole, likely. I mean, obviously Fitz trusts, trusts the defense to, to to get a stop, but you have to be somewhat realistic and know who you're playing against. And um, Either way, I mean, momentum was swinging back and forth all game yesterday, so I don't think the coin toss was a huge determinant in, in the outcome of the game. But it was just something interesting that I was thinking about that played some sort of role in how yesterday went. Speaking of momentum swings, Northwestern blocked a field goal in the game. Fred Wyatt, senior defensive lineman, somehow got a hand on it. That was the first time Northwestern blocked a kick since November 8th, 2014. Nick Van Hoos against Michigan. And just kind of to put a bow on our earlier conversation, Dwayne Haskins set the Big Ten championship game record. Now, again, there have only been eight of them, but still the Big Ten championship game record for passing yards, total yards, completions, completion percentage, passing touchdowns, the list goes on to add an, to add to his already 
ridiculously impressive resume where he set the Big Ten record for passing yards, passing touchdowns, total yards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Though I thought it was interesting, though perhaps not surprising, that in a game where Dwayne Haskins set all of those records, the record for most pass attempts in a Big Ten in a Big Ten title game was set by Clayton Thorson with 44. Previous mark was set by Joel Stavi, a guy that Northwestern fans know very well, the former quarterback at Wisconsin. Now, interestingly enough, there was, well, it's not really that interesting, but this stat is interesting. There were plenty of other conference championship games over the weekend, and in Friday's Pac-12 championship game, there were zero offensive touchdowns scored in a 10-3 win for Washington. The only touchdown scored came on a 66-yard pick six by Byron Murphy in the third quarter. The losing team tallied just 188 total yards of offense, and Max Meyer at Sports Illustrated tweeted this out. The only other Power 5 conference championship game without an offensive touchdown was the ACC championship game in 2006 when Wake Forest beat Georgia Tech 9-6. to So there was no touchdown of any kind in that game, I do believe. This was no offensive touchdown ever. And conveniently enough, the losing team in that Pac-12 championship game was Utah, and Northwestern is going to be playing Utah the end of this month, December the 31st, in San Diego, California, in the Holiday Bowl, a bowl game that Utah has plenty of experience with, but really just their coach, Kyle Whittingham, played in the first four ever Holiday Bowls when he was a linebacker for BYU. He was the defensive MVP of the game in 1981, and in 2008, he was inducted into the Holiday Bowl Hall of Fame. So Utah's head coach, has plenty of experience with this upcoming game. Northwestern does not. Neither of these teams have ever played there. Uh, so that'll be an interesting matchup. Another really good defense and offense, though, in Utah that has really struggled. They lost their starting quarterback. They lost Zach Moss, their starting running back, who was one of the best in the Pac-12 and one of the better running backs in the country, in my opinion. Uh, so a very beat-up offense, and that should be an interesting game. I don't think either of them are going to be back by the end of this month. I don't know that for sure, but Moss, I'm pretty sure, is out for the season. Um, but an interesting game coming up later this month. Two solid teams, two teams that were in their respective championship games for their respective conferences. So a good matchup, I would think, for part of that uh, New Year's Eve game out in San Diego. Good matchup, but we'll see. I mean, the, it's it's always interesting to me how they have like three weeks off, four weeks off yeah. between these games. And you just, Northwestern just played probably the biggest football game in program history last night. Now you're going to go three, three and a half, four weeks before your next game. I mean, they're playing obviously for a win, but, you know, is there a bit of a letdown? Does that kind of go away because of the long layoff? So we'll see how they respond. It's going to be Thorson's last game wearing the Northwestern uniform, Flanagle's last game, assuming he's healthy enough to play, which right. he sh hopefully is. So last opportunity for these guys to play for for their school. So I'm sure they will come out hopefully playing the way that they're capable of. So, <laughs> let's hope we'll it'll be see, it'll yeah. be fun. It'll uh, be it'll be good. Last last time to see them play this season, um, definitely optimism for next year with Hunter Johnson coming on as the starter. Isaiah Bowser will have his in a, a year under his belt, maybe get a little bigger. So, but he's he's been a revelation for them this year. Definitely. So perhaps you get another three years out of him if he doesn't get drafted. So lots of opportunities for them moving forward. I want to give you this quote. This is kind of a shout-out to you guys. I'm not tooting my own horn because I wasn't <laughs> with you guys yesterday, but this is from Glenn Geffner. I'm, I would think you saw this on Twitter. Might Perhaps have. not. 
He said the Northwestern student radio station at WNUR Sports and student newspaper at Daily and News Sports are embarrassing the national TV <laughs> broadcast with the information, including important injury updates. They're reporting on air and via Twitter. Tremendous work by student journalists. So I thought that was really cool to see. Well, Glenn Geffner is a noted big supporter of this station. We are very grateful for him around WNUR, of course, noted alumnus of this station and now the radio broadcaster for the Miami Marlins. And a lot of that credit goes to the man across the glass from us, R11, who is doing excellent work on the sidelines, getting all, the, getting us those updates ASAP. And our man in the box uh, yesterday, Kevin Sweeney, who's not here right now, was doing some incredible work for us to get those tweets to us, uh, or sorry, get those updates to us and sending them out to the to, into the ether to tell everybody else about it. And he also fixed a piece of our equipment during the game, which was absolutely insane. We got very excited in the booth when that happened. I'm sure the other student broadcasters in the box were kind of confused as to why we were you know, cl- visibly excited at that point when there was you know just a four-yard gain on the field. But right after that, I'm pretty sure that was that uh, Travis Willock fumble recovery. Literally a play or two after that happened. That was in the third quarter when everything was going right for Northwestern. So we were really excited at that point, and then things, as they so often do, fell apart in the fourth quarter. But our equipment still worked, and the sideline reports were still very good. So... Hey, some of us had some of us had good days last night. <laughs> well, I saw that. I thought that was very nice that he uh, pointed that out. If you don't mind, we could shift over to men's basketball Sounds a little good. bit. They were also playing in the state of Indiana they yesterday. Were. Tough loss, sixty-eight, sixty-six. My stat from that too—that's number of points that they had from the bench mm-hmm. yesterday. That was Anthony Gaines. Derek Pardon played 39 to 40 minutes, so they didn't really need Barrett Benson. Barrett Benson played one minute yesterday. Pardon had 24 points, 10 rebounds, and yet another double-double. But is that concerning, two points from your bench? I think so. Uh, I I was really hoping for, with all the depth that we saw at a Northwestern earlier this year, they shuffled in so many different guys trying to find some identity because you didn't really get anything going from a guy like Jordan Nash. They were wondering who's gonna, you know, who's the point guard who's going to be in the backcourt for them. And we still don't really know necessarily, so they've been working a whole bunch of different kinds of guys, different pseudo-point guards for pretty much this entire season. And then, yeah, only four guys played off the bench, and Ash played four minutes and Benson played one. So really inconsequential appearances, in my opinion. And like you said, only Anthony Gaines scored points, and he picked up four fouls in 26 minutes, went one of five. So, I mean, it's, it's tough, though I guess if you look at the other way, Indiana only played four guys off the bench as well. They scored 13 points off the bench, which is decent, I guess, but much more significant minutes from those guys trying to develop more of a sense of an identity, I guess, as a team. Running nine deep isn't too bad for a, a team that is you know, going to want to try to make the tournament this year in Indiana. Yeah, but for Northwestern, it's just kind of contrary to what we've been seeing because they've been rolling. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely some guys have been getting more playing time than they will in Big Ten play, like Jordan Nash, as you mentioned. But... The interesting thing is Derek Pardon plays 39 minutes. Barrett Benson had, has had a very good season so far. Sure. I would say he had the big game against Binghamton, not the best opponent, but even still, he had a he had a couple he had a couple of nice plays in the game against Georgia Tech. But when Pardon's playing incredibly well, you're not going to take him off the court. Where's Benson going to play? Right. Then the other guys, Pete Nance struggled, had no points. Uh, he, him and Miller Copper kind of rotating out. Coach Collins said after the game, and this is not direct quote, but he was saying something along the lines of that he's going to put his veteran guys in at the end of the game because they're the ones that have experience while Cop and Nance are still kind of getting their feet wet, figuring things out. So we shouldn't expect to see them on the court at the end of the game, likely on Tuesday also. 
So who's going to be on the court? You can't. And and I don't think this is. I mean, these guys are still college students, so it's not like they're forty. You know, baseball players, thirty five years old, that are going to wear down. Sure. But I don't think it's a s- sustainable practice to to have Pardon playing thirty nine minutes every single night. No, that's I not possible. Completely agree. And like you said, you you may not see people wear down. I guess, but. I, I definitely don't think that's sustainable. You have to. That's always been the question the last couple of years with Barrett Benson being ineffective at times. Who is going to be the guy to take over for for Pardon? You know, heaven forbid he gets in foul trouble, then you're really in there. You're really in t- dire straits, and then you have to throw somebody else in. And it's been Benson in the past, and he's been hit or miss, I guess. But yeah, I agree with you. I definitely think there needs to be at least somebody. The, the guys of having somebody else that can come off the bench and I play mean, meaningful minutes. You would expect Gaines will turn things around, so that's kind of your sixth man. But and Pete Nance perhaps won't put up a goose egg every every game. But it was it was his first Big Ten game, so you can cut him a bit of a break sure. there. But at the same time, that's a winnable game for Northwestern. And when you're looking at the difference between going like eight and ten in the Big Ten and and having a better seeding, better seed for the Big Ten tournament, and perhaps making uh, having a berth in the in the in the NCAA tournament, these are games that you need to win because you have a game against Michigan on Tuesday. Who knows how Northwestern is going to play? We'll probably have a de- they'll probably be a decent decent crowd for bi- for a big opponent like Michigan. But that that game is, <laughs> I mean, I think we can both agree not likely that we that Northwestern wins that game. I would think very unlikely. Michigan has been excellent this year, like. They've been every year, and I heard this from Moritz Wagner in, uh, in as much earlier this year, but he basically said, you know, people never rate Michigan highly going into a season. doesn't matter how well they do the previous season. They say, well, you know, they were good for sure, but not really sure how good they're going to be this year. That was pretty much exactly what happened this year because, you know, guys like Wagner and other guys left the team. They were the national runner-up. And people were still thinking, well, you know, maybe fourth in the Big Ten this year. But they're they're very good right now. Their defense is excellent. They seem to have some offensive spark of late as well. So that's going to be a very – it's two tough games to open conference play for Northwestern. But but I think the first one was winnable. And that's, like, that's the point I'm, I'm trying to make here is that if you want to have that 8-10, and 9-9, nine nine, the Big Ten is – basketball is very tough. It's to, good. To, to get to 500. So – if you if we if we say oh why did we finish six and twelve because you lost the game to Indiana that you very easily could have won sure. if a couple things maybe went their way if you have some more production from your bench I know it's the first Big Ten game of the season so there's going to be some rust that's understandable but that's a game if you wanted if that if the program wants to take that next step you have to win those type of games I completely agree we'll see if Northwestern can get back on track this week against Michigan we'll of course have the call for you right here on WNUR. You can find that on WNURsports.com. All right, really quickly, it wouldn't be a show from us. There wasn't some sort of hockey discussion, so I present to you a quote from the Chicago Blackhawks from earlier this week, courtesy of Jeremy Greenfield on Twitter. He you know, c- compiled some quotes from the Blackhawks postgame. Uh, Dylan Strom, the newest member of the team, said, we got really behind the eight ball early today and we can never recover. Jonathan Taves said, we're giving up way too much, getting behind the eight ball early in games. And Jeremy Colleton, the interim head coach, said, we really put ourselves behind the eight ball there. So three times they used that eight ball expression after the game. And perhaps unsurprisingly, that was after a game that they lost eight to three against the Vegas Golden Knights. Blackhawks have plenty of questions to answer under Jeremy Colleton and company. We'll see if they can get back on track and get back to the playoffs. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Stats Are For Losers. For my fellow loser, Eric Rinston-Lobel, I've been Tim Hackett. Thanks for listening. We'll take a quick break on WNUR, and when we come back, it's the Sports Voice. 